eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Logan, here we go. Looking back at the tape. Uh, did, did, it get, did it get any better when you watched it in all 22 form than, uh, than it felt on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you watch the film as much as, like, I've watched the game like twice now, and, you know, I take a, like a lot of pretty fastidious with my notes. And, you know, I think if you kind of like take away the first two drives of the game, which you can't do, obviously, um, <laughs> I, I liked I liked some of the stuff that they did in the second half. I liked a lot of the stuff they did in the second half. And I think they're on the verge, if they continue to like delve into that, they're on the verge of making, I don't want to say a quarterback-proof offense, but a quarterback-friendly offense, something that's very supportive of quarterback playing at a high level. So, you know, like what does that offense look like? I think, again, it's something that we've been talking about a lot, and you just see the advantages that it gives you. You see the advantage it gives you from a pass protection standpoint, from a quarterback standpoint, from a throwing lane standpoint. And when you have a quarterback like Heineke, I think you need to lean into that more. And I, I still am a little bit flummoxed as to why they got away from it so dramatically in the first half of the game. And what I mean, I keep saying this, you know, this idea that you are good at running counter, you're good at running inside zone, you're good at running duo, run those runs and then run the play action passes off of them. Stack runs, create runs around that. I think, you know, maybe a perfect iteration of this is in the first quarter, they run all these kind of zone read gt like where they're pulling the guard and tackle they're isolating the defensive end and you can just tell that's like not who they want to be on the zone read they run a zone read a little bit later where they run it off of a duo action right they open to the side to the side of the tight end they bring the other uh cole turner back across the formation 
He bluffs Thibodeau. Thibodeau thinks it's duo. He squeezes down, and Taylor has a seven-yard gain. That is the core, the foundational piece of who you are. Build around that. And so when you get to the second half and they're backed up, it's the first drive of the game, or first drive of the half, excuse me, and they just come out off of duo play pass to Terry. Then it's another play pass. Then it's a boot. They move the pocket. They do a whole bunch of different things off of that run action that you've worked so hard to establish. And they basically go down, never getting a third down, and they score a touchdown. And I just see that is the version of the offense. Then the next drive they come out, they hit that bomb to Jahan off of a duo play action pass. They hit a counter run to – it's not a counter. Was it a counter? I don't remember exactly who it was. Oh, yeah, counter to – um to Brian Robinson, you're inside the 20 on two plays. So all of a sudden, this offense that has been so tepid and so kind of labored, you see this element that they've earned, that they develop out of that. And I'm just like, that is where they need to be. And it's funny, if I look at the second half of this game, obviously there's a whole bunch of shortcomings we can talk about in a second. But that, to me, is what I was expecting from the entire game. And that, to me, if they can continue to build on that, gives you a chance against a team like San Francisco, which I think is good. It's a good sign. And uh, does that mean they're going to win? No. But does it mean that you've, you've kind of, you're, you're developing this offensive identity around this, this core tenant? Yes. And I think they just need to lean into that a little bit more. And so I, I'm, I get a lot of confidence when I hear Ron say in the postgame presser, like we are a run play action pass team. A lot of people think that's a bad thing. San Francisco is that offense. That's what San Francisco does almost every single play. And they're considered one of the best offenses in the NFL. There is a there is a lot of good things to glean from that. And I think that's what I took away from it offensively. That's frustrating and interesting all, all yeah. at once. Because yeah. they, like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, too, because the first quarter, right, it's the first two drives that you hate. They also ran 10 plays and then nine plays. So like yes. They were able to Long convert drives, and, yeah. and do some things. They also didn't get anywhere. It's like 10 right. plays for 41 yards is almost hard to do. Right. Um, it's a lot of incompletions. It's a lot of short yardage stuff. You get, you know, like Samuel's stuffed in, in that for a loss of three at one point. Uh, the drive essentially ends when Heineke gets sacked. Uh, and then you wind up punting from your own 34. Um, which I, that decision, um, I, I said this yesterday on the show, like, or Monday on the show, I can't really fault Ron because he's the one who watched Joey Sly warm up, but it just doesn't make sense to me that you're, you're so screwed from 51 yards with Joey Sly. Like, I mean, the wind, apparently there was a 10 mile an hour wind. So kicking into a 10 mile an hour wind, like, you know, there's going to be a difference in terms of the direction you're kicking, obviously. And, obviously, you know, I don't and they know. were kicking into it. And so, yeah. you know, I, as much as much as I want to be like, that's so dumb. How could he? Like, he watched, not only did he watch Sly warm up and go, that's out of his range. And, and you know, Sly and, and the special teams uh, coach, Kawika, is like, uh, it's, it's out of his range. Um, but Dable makes basically the same decision later in the game, facing yeah. the same direction from almost the same spot. So, as quiet as the wind was apparently on the field, it was very clearly swirling and affecting the ball. Um, and as Ron said, like, it's actually like it, it's we're going to pin them deep. And then and then we messed up the coverage. Um, the ball hung up in the air. Something weird happened. They missed they missed a thing. And then next thing you know, you net like next to no yards because your, your execution's bad. And sometimes that's the NFL. I would argue that Ron's process was better than Dable's. Ron's mm. process of punting it there is better than Dable's of going for it on fourth and nine except for Dable converted and Ron's team gave up a stupid punt return. Yeah. And, and so you look bad and sometimes that's the NFL. Sometimes mm -hmm. them's 
them's the breaks. But going back to kind of what you said about the offense and, and the choices, it's just it's just frustrating that they would get away from that. And obviously some of that is on Turner to like, why are you trying so much? But it also is the kind of thing where like Ron's got to, as the head coach, just like slap his hand away from the cookie jar. Like, no, like we've gotten, mm-hmm. we've accomplished our goals by not going into the cookie jar. Not that if you want cookies, you can absolutely and should enjoy cookies, especially during this very lovely holiday season. However, in this analogy, whatever goal you were trying to accomplish involved not eating the cookies and and Ron let Scott put his hand in the cookie jar and, you know, it wasted a first quarter where they could have come out, been productive and established some things and uh, maybe scored some points. And instead, they ran 19 plays in the first quarter to New York seven and only came out of it with a three nothing lead. Yeah, and I, I just again, and it's hard to say for sure that it would have gone the other way, but I think you see the result of of kind of being who you are. You know, I think you see the result of being who you are in the second half, and I think you saw how effectively the offensive line was blocking the counterplay. That was a big play for them. Not so much the um, the duo, the duo play action pass look was much better for them, but in terms of runs, the counter was excellent. And B Rob was just being a physical dog, and like the O line deserves a lot of credit because they were getting him you know, kind of into the teeth of the defense before he was getting contacted. And you see kind of that Derrick Henry-esque-ness in terms of, you know, when you get a big man into the defense, you see the same thing with A.J. Dillon up in Green Bay. Big man into the defense, untouched. Like, they can make a lot of plays. So I think that's another thing that's a little frustrating is, like, you, you got away from who who you are. You got you know, like, from a running game standpoint, like, especially it, it just seems so counterintuitive because it was so effective, you know? And, right. Um, they hadn't proved that they could stop it. Right. Right. In two weeks. It, yeah. And I look at, um, you know, I was watching Kansas City, for example, because uh, we're getting ready to play San Francisco. And one of the things they did is they, they run the football and they, you know, they ran right at San Francisco, but they understand like who they are and what they're good at. And they run like little just sweet variations. They're not running a lot of zone read or getting cute with guard tackle pulling like they're, they, they are who they are from a run game standpoint. I think that that clarity of vision is so, so important. And, you know, I think the other thing we need to talk about is is the red zone, obviously. And there are some issues there that definitely need to be corrected. I think, you know, if you look at the past two games, the Giants and the Atlanta Falcons, I think there are opportunities to be excited. But again, some of the issues with the team show up there more acutely. You see Taylor's lack of arm strength. You see the lack of kind of elite playmaking at the quarterback position. You see the limitations of the offensive line. And so I think all of those things really come into full perspective. Um, you know, they kind of take all these warts that you're able to hide in the field and then they're just on full display. Like you need to be better at quarterback. You need to be better at, at offensive line. So my challenge, if I'm Scott, I say, well, how do I manage that? And I quite frankly say like, well, maybe we become a little bit, you know, I look at what New York does, for example, and they're very boot heavy in the red zone, partially because their offensive line's bad in pass protection and they run the ball a lot in the red zone. So yeah. For whatever reason, Scott gets in the red zone and is like, let's get in these drop back passing situations. And that just doesn't feel like the right thing to me in those situations. It's not. Um, and it's so hard to drop back pass in the red zone anyway, because there's just a limited amount of like a lot of passing concepts work because you also are scared of them throwing over your head. There is mm-hmm. no such thing as the red zone. Go ahead, throw it to the fans. We don't care. The windows mm-hmm. become tighter. It, it's there's not a lot of space to operate. Things have to happen right now and with a quarterback who doesn't throw with velocity to make things happen right now and windows that are smaller and and a quarterback who also for some reason is clamming up a bit in the red zone doesn't make a lot of sense i want to well let's circle back in five minutes or so to the to the red zone and like let's really flush that out 
if mm. I'm making a checklist for between the twenties, right. And, and really I'm going to say goal line to, to 20 goal line to red zone, because yeah. uh, this first thing on my checklist would have prevented the strip sack. I am avoiding like rule thing. Number one, I'm trying to do for the commander's offense is avoid drop back pass at all costs. Yeah. There's just, there's just gotta be a better option at almost all times. We we're in a, dire passing situation. Okay, I'm going to boot a little bit and move the pocket. Or I'm just going to I'm just going to straight up roll out. You know, you don't even have to boot. We're just going to roll out, I'm going to move the pocket. I'm going to be unpredictable of where my quarterback is going to go back and stand because it's if I'm vulnerable for something like a strip sack fumble recovery for a touchdown uh cuz I'm at my own 10-yard line. Uh but I'm I'm trying to limit the dropbacks in the game to 10 or less. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe even 5 or less. That would be thing 1 for me. Thing 2 I'm going to run the runs that I'm good at. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to get fancy. And, and it's not just trying to like be simple or make a point. Like they're really good at those runs. Mm-hmm. In the first game against the Giants, I just pulled up the box score for the tie game. Brian Robinson ran 21 carries for 96 yards. He averaged 4-6 a carry. Gibson, 4-3 a carry. Samuel was 7-7 seven, seven a carry. His were a little bit skewed though because he had one big, long 21-yarder. Yeah. But if you give Samuel like the stuff that he's good at, eventually he tends to bust one. He tends right. to get a big one. And so I'm going to run the runs I'm good at. And then thing three on my three-item checklist is I'm getting my best players the ball, and my best player is Terry McLaurin. Right. And, you know, we had some fun with that earlier in the year, but I think the results have been there. Like when they got Terry more involved in the offense, they scored more points and won more games. And the drive that they have that touchdown to start the second half is run through 17. They just decided, bleep it, we're getting him the ball. And um, I was actually watching Hard Knocks last night. And not that the Cardinals are like a model offense in the NFL, but it was interesting hearing like Cliff Kingsbury on the headset at one point talking to his coaches. And he's like, hey, guys, we need to get the ball to hop here. And it's like they, they they weren't thinking about route concepts and what the defense is doing. It's like, bleep it. How do we get the ball to DeAndre Hopkins? Because that's that's going to make our offense go. And Chris Collinsworth said it on the broadcast Sunday night. Sometimes it's not about the plays you call. It's about the players you call it for. And once they started getting Terry involved, the ball moved more. And they score. And, they and you know, Jahan is obviously awesome in the red zone. And, like, that that is, like, the three-step, if we're not doing this, we're failing as an offense checklist is, Staying out of drop back pass because we can't protect it. Run the runs that we're good at because it's going to get us yards and we're really good at it. And get the ball to our p- best players with the heaviest dosage being to our absolute best player. And that player is Terry McLaurin. Outside of obviously Robinson and Gibson in the running game. But like when we're throwing, we're throwing to McLaurin. And that includes screens. It includes short stuff. It includes taking shots to him deep because good things happen when he gets thrown the football. That's my offensive checklist. And they, they failed on that in the first half on Sunday. On yeah. basically all three accounts. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I, I, you know, we talked about it before. I do think that there was like a, uh, you know, a little bit of like overthinking it by Scott. And I think that shows up. And, you know, obviously like every play is designed to go for a touchdown. So it's easy for me to sit here on Monday and be like, oh, you know, they should have done X, Y, Z. But I, I just think the proof is in the pudding. I think look at the first game. And I think the thing about the first game is like you, you never, you felt like if they just execute a little bit better in certain situations, they win by 10. And then so I'm not trying to deviate too much from that game plan. And I think, you know, like you you got the runs you're good at, obviously, right? I think that's like, well, I think a nice point you established there. But you can add like little wrinkles off of it, like, you know, the jet sweep sure. stuff they've done, all that kind of stuff. And so like, I, I'm stuff. accounting for that in the game because yeah. you're always going to have game plan runs. Like I'm not saying right. don't game plan and run run day one installs for the entire thing. But like 
you're those game plan specific things. This is something I learned from you. So I don't, I want to make sure that the audience who listens or watches this understands that I'm not preaching this at Logan. I'm, I'm trying to share things that I've learned that I think make for good process. It's like they, those play off of those base runs. Like right. I'm counting a jet sweep off of duo action as a run. They are good at. Right. But that's, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm right. saying. You have your variations off of your runs that are your wrinkles run that stuff, you know, run that stuff that you've kind of majored in that again, you think works against the giants. Um, yeah, man, I, I just, it's, uh, it, it was a little frustrating. You know, it, the, the first half was all frustrating to me because it was a little confounding. I was like, why, why did they, do, what made, what motivated them to do this from a defensive standpoint? And I don't really have a good solution. You know, like the, 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 the to me, the proof is in the, in the first game you got after him. And I understand that you didn't score all these points, but I look at certain situations like, again, in the first game, maybe you're a little bit too conservative, right? But to me, to get a, to get out of the conservatism, you run play action pass, you run a boot, like you don't do drop back passing. I think that's like where I'm at with that. Right. It's like you, you know who you are. Why was there such a stark transition away <clears throat> from these elements? And I don't really have a good reason. And I think you saw like how productive the offense, I said this already, could be in the second half. And and I come out of this thinking like, wow, you know, like maybe they've, they've found a little bit of a formula here that will work against better teams. Who knows? Who knows? Um, my fear is that that's what they think too. Um, and they just think that they're so close and if they could just do X, Y, Z a little bit better. And then sometimes you need to take a step back and be like, well, the reason we can't do X, Y, Z is better, better is because we're not good enough because right. this is actually who we are. And like that gets dangerous we talk about evaluation in the off season and evaluation of your coaches, evaluation of your players, et cetera. But for right now, like if you're looking for a game plan moving forward, that's, that's correct. Um, the other thing that just popped in my mind, uh, sage advice from one of your favorite wink, wink, former teammates, JJ Watt. Um, cause he's on the Cardinals and thus he was in this hard knock right. episode. And, um, he was talking to Cam Thomas, uh, their rookie edge rusher. And, they were, and he was basically like, you need to not be afraid of what you're good at, um, which is actually really, really good advice. And he's like, yeah. you have a really good, in, in Cam Thomas's case, this rookie for Arizona, he's like, you have a really good long arm. Yeah. Just because you study the O-lineman that you're going to face that week and you see that this tackle is really good against long arm doesn't mean you shouldn't use it because you're good at it. Right. Go be good at it. And right. that's a little bit of what what I feel like happened this week to, to Washington and what Scott I uh, was looking at and, and he looked at the Philly tape and, you know, saw what the giants were bad at and was like, we're going to, we're going to try to do that, even though we're not that good at it. Right. Um, or we don't have the reps yeah. at it. And it's, it's not, I, I do want to give Scott this credit. Um, and this is also somehow relative to this, uh, <laughs> this episode of hard knocks last night, but it was the week that they were preparing for new England. And mm -hmm. basically their entire message was like, they're going to attack what we're bad at. Like that's New England's thing for years. Belichick has always had kind of a an ability to to change his team, not really have an for as much as we preach identity, identity, identity. He is anti-identity. He's mm -hmm. like, we're gonna shape shift each week and just murder you mm -hmm. with what you're bad at. And he's able to do that because he's him and his level of attention and detail, the players he brings in. Um, and by the way, it doesn't work as well when you don't have Tom Brady. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The difference between like trying to in New England base, we're going to attack the weaknesses at all times. And, you know, what that means is your that that is their identity. That is their entire ethos. And so trying to do that versus establishing a set identity, saying we're good at this thing and we're just going to do it till you can't stop it, which I think has been over the history of the league, probably more successful. Mm -hmm. um, and it's probably an easier way to build a franchise. Um, when that is your approach, you can't skew from that. And and that's kind of what we're saying is like, they tried the new England thing in a way last week, even if that that's not how they would necessarily describe it. They tried the, we're just going to attack where they're bad at. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, the Venn diagram of what they were good at, those two circles didn't really overlap. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's, I've been a part of teams that have done that. You know, they've said, oh, look, look what this team did. Let's just put that in. Let's get that done. And it just doesn't always pan out. And I, I do think there is a lot of truth and a lot of merit to like what you're describing. Just be who you are. And, and again, I think that's the thing that's really hard to like articulate or it's hard to articulate for me is like be who you are and innovate in that space innovate in the space of who you are and who you want to be and what you've been successful with. And I think, again, I think Scott's done a nice job of that. Like when you watch some of the details that he's added in the run game, some of the details he's added from a jet sweep, some of the play action stuff he's added. I like that. Keep doing that. Like keep building that package out, building that, that stuff out. I like that. They did a boot in there the other day where Taylor's able to run for a first down. I like the boot that they ran to Jahan where it's like an easy 10 yard gain for his first catch. Like that stuff is something they haven't been doing a ton of. Like bring that in. That's excellent. Do more of that because that fits your skill set. It fits your roster construction. And I think that's the other thing that's really hard. You know, like, um, you know, I, I help out at a high school and there's always this tendency to be like, oh, we should do X because this team killed this other team at it. And you always got to be like, they killed them because that is who they are and that's what they do. They know that stuff. And when we put it in, we're not going to be that same thing, right? So, I, you know, we've kind of we've kind of circled this point a whole bunch, but I do think yeah. it's a big point, and I, I really think it's one of the reasons the offense struggled. And I, I think if you're a fan, there are reasons. There, coming out of that second half, there are reasons to be optimistic. I look at that and I say that we saw elements of an explosive offense here, and I think there are decisions that Scott made that were poor, like just from a game plan, game flow, like not. Kevin Sheehan said this to me when I did his podcast, just not feeling the game, not feeling yes. the flow of the game. And I think that is a perfect articulation of it. So in addition to kind of putting in a whole bunch of stuff that maybe you didn't need to put in, there's also just kind of a lack of that feeling. When you talk to play callers, that's a legit thing, man. When you're not feeling the game, when you can't get in a rhythm, 
Like that's a thing, you know? And so I, I, I think Scott's allowed to have an off day from a play calling standpoint. And I think what's crazy is despite all of these deficiencies, they still have 380 yards of offense and they still look dynamic. Right. You still get Jahan touches. You still get Terry touches. B-Rob looks excellent, right? And I just look at that and I say, that's, that's good. That gets me excited. That says going into San Francisco, if you add more boots, if you develop your play action pass, if you still cultivate those wrinkles in the run game, there's a shot there. There's a shot because all of a sudden you're a day, you're a, you're not a three yards in a cloud of dust offense. You're a dynamic offense. And I think that's something that is exciting potentially, obviously. Right. Um, it is. You still get 387, but you only score 12 points. And like, this is the yin and the yang of what they've been yeah. all year is like, oh, the process, the process, the process. If you were to like somehow hit shuffle on all the plays and watch them out of order and you'd be like, oh, that was pretty good. That was good. That was good. So how many points they score? Right. 12? Like that's that's kind of been the year for them. And to and to that point, like I've been a part of early in Shanahan's career, Kyle's career, like we were we were on offenses where we'd put up a ton of points, put up, you know, or not a ton of yards, and we wouldn't put up a lot of points. And I do think that is an offense developing, developing your identity. Cause I think in addition to kind of cultivating these packages in the field in between the twenties, like we've been talking about, there's also a need to cultivate that identity in the red zone. And I, when, when they get to the Renzo, they, they get away from their kind of normal runs. They get away from their normal passes. And again, defenses are changing there, but it's also kind of like, screw that, man. Let's just be us. Let's run duo. Who cares if it's for two yards? Let's run the play action pass. Let's run a boot. Let's get ourselves in better situations to be successful here. And I, I, I again, I, I like what Scott has schemed up from a drop back passing standpoint, but I really like the play action pass stuff he's done there. Think about the touchdown to Bates. Think about the overthrow to Logan Thomas. Those, that is what this team is. And you look at the uh, Atlanta game, and there's an excellent Tampa two beater on third and ten, and you're like, "Wow, this is a brilliant design," but they can't protect it. So mm. that's why it doesn't work out, right? That those are the little shortcomings, and you have to understand that as a play caller that that's not who this team is, and that that can be really challenging because you're like, "Look at how smart I am. Look at what I just designed." and Scott, to his credit, that's an awesome play design by him, that cover two beer. That was fantastic. But is it the right solution for this team? I don't know. You're listening to the Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports or watching it at youtube.com slash at Odyssey Sports. Let's just keep rolling on that. Because, like, what are they doing and what are the shortcomings in the red zone? Because it seems like so much of it is personnel-based, like you were just saying, as opposed to, like, oh, they're trying a bunch of stuff that's silly and will never work. It's like, no, no, no. They're trying a bunch of stuff that their guys can't execute. Yeah, and it, yeah, and I, I kudos to the Giants. They had a nice game plan this week. They matched up a lot of concepts really well in the red zone. But also, I, again, it kind of goes back to the game flow thing. I felt like Scott didn't always feel the red zone the same way he was feeling the stuff in the field, and that's tough. But I do think outside of probably the last four games, um, he's done a good job in the red zone of scheming stuff open. And I think – you know, think back to the Atlanta game where he misses John Bates on the seam, right? He hits John Bates. It's a catch, but John Bates is out of bounds because he waits too long. And I think about the way he's cultivating offense in the red zone is really interesting because he's he's doing a good job of creating spaces and attacking the weak parts of coverages. So like in cover three, right, when you get those three guys across the back, the weak spot in the coverages are the seams, right? And he does a good job of, of identifying the coverage, dictating coverages in a lot of senses, and then getting the ball there. And what I see is when you see it on film, like you have to know as the quarterback that that's the weak spot. And I have to anticipate the throw to that area as opposed to to the man. So when the man's in the window, you're too late. 
you got to throw it to the window that's been created by the concept. And that can be very, very challenging. And you can tell Taylor, um, for whatever reason, is not feeling overly confident in doing that. And then also there's like been some pass protection stuff that have also flummoxed Taylor. In yeah, I feel like there was one of the replays I watched during the game where I was like, oh, Logan's wide open. Yeah. Son of a gun. And he just, he doesn't have time to get there. Um, I also wonder, you know, Ron, Ron touched on this post game uh, when he was asked about some of the red zone stuff. And he's like, it's just a different speed in the game. Like they, I don't know that it's a, they don't practice hard enough type of thing. And I'm trying to figure out a, a different way to say that, that is more accurate and reasonable. But like, you just can't, I guess you will know, put it this way. You can't repeat the process of game speed in practice. It's just, there's not the adrenaline flow. Um, it's too late in the year. That's just not the speed that's optimal to work at. But when you're talking about some of the anticipation stuff that affects the timing. And so if it's like snap now in game, but it's like snap now in practice, that half second is the window closing in the game. And I just wonder if like Taylor's lack of, you know, experience over the course of years and, and the lack of reps and all of that plays into this on some level, but still like, buddy, you're, you've now started t- over 25 NFL games. Like you gotta, you gotta get there. Like you just gotta let it rip. You gotta trust what your read is. You know, you have a pre-snap read for a reason. You, you watch the play, you know, unfold and you check that, that hypothesis, if you will, that you had pre-snap. And if it's right, then you just got to let it rip and trust that your guy's going to win because that's how you score in this league. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's it. I really do. I, I, it's not necessarily like a practice thing because, you know, you practice the red zone, but there's something – it's different. It's a little bit different. You can't see the throws the same way. The protection's a little bit different. The defense understands, like, you know, you see all these sacks in the red zone, and part of the reason is the throwing windows are smaller, and the defensive line has a little bit more time to get there, right? understanding that from a play calling standpoint, understanding that as a quarterback, understanding that as an offensive line, those are all things that are very, very challenging to do. And the defensive approach changes, quite frankly. And so how well prepped are you? I'm sure they're very well prepped. I'm sure they talk about this all the time. But yeah, those are the things that make it tough. And I and I will say, like in terms of offensive development, offenses I've been on that have been very productive in the field have taken a long time to get productive in the red zone for whatever reason. And I think a little bit of it is, you don't have the same opportunity to rep those plays. It's like, you, you know, you rep the first, second down stuff a ton. You rep third down a ton. And because they're kind of the same plays. But then all of a sudden, red zone's a little bit different schematically, a little bit different emphasis. And how much time do you have to, to emphasize that? So I think that's all part of it. And that's one reason why. When you I say like, rep it, though, are you talking practice or just like because it doesn't come up as often in games? Yeah. So in practice, your practice structure is like you have first, second down on Wednesday, right? And then you'll probably add in maybe like a little bit of blitz period on for third down, just kind of touch on it, right? Thursday, you'll probably do again, you do first, second down, and then you do maybe red zone, maybe a little bit of third down, something like that, probably third down. And then Friday is kind of your red zone day. And a lot of teams that I was on near the end of my career had switched red zone to earlier in the week. So you could be with that material longer, mm. right? As opposed to the last day of the week in your walkthrough practice, you're just touching on red zone then. And I don't, I don't say touch because they are doing red zone stuff kind of, you know, at full speed. And it's an emphasis for the day. But get, the, get them that information on Thursday as opposed to Friday. 
and, you know, kind of touch third down in your first and second down in both periods on Wednesday and Thursday. So again, that's a practice structure thing. That's an emphasis thing. And, um, and it could be that, I don't know, you know, I watch practice, but I don't know the practice structure or the emphasis all the time. And then, um, I do think there's just like, you need to, if you want to be good at it, you need to put more time into it. But that, again, that detracts from other elements of the offense. I do wonder if at this time of year, especially if they feel comfortable with all the stuff that we've talked about, this the duo stuff, the play action off of it, and a lot of what they're they're doing and feel like they can go out there and run it if they they spend more time on the red zone stuff this week. Yeah. Um, I could see Ron making that kind of change. Um, it almost feels like you have to. Um, you got it because you got to figure that area of the field out. Yeah. And, and and I, think one of the more telling... I think that's the, the frustrating thing about it, though. Sorry to cut you off, Craig, is just like, they've had opportunities they've had open throws and i think if you're ron if you're scott you say look at these open opportunities look what we've developed and it's one person missing the block it's the quarterback holding the football so to me it's like not that far it's not that out, out that outlandish to be like oh my gosh like they're you know they're they're terrible it's like you know it's not like every concept's blanketed it's just like right. timing or whatever like those little details are just it's not quite there so I think that's why it's probably extra frustrating for Scott and Ron and Taylor. Well, that was what I was going to say is like Ron was like oddly, I don't want to say oddly frustrated, but extra frustrated um, in his postgame press conference on Sunday because he said like we worked on the it was, it was almost like he was miffed by it. Like he didn't mm -hmm. understand. He's like, we worked on red zone stuff. Mm -hmm. Why? Did this not change? We we spent time on this. Mm. How could it not have evolved and changed? And and why were we not better there? And it and felt like a lot of that frustration was directed at Taylor. Um, some of it at Scott as well. Cause I, I think that some of it they look at and they're like, man, if he would throw the ball now, and I'm curious what you know what Ron will say is he's gotten a chance to to look at yeah. the tape and if he's pressed on it a little bit more as the week goes. Um, and maybe some of the stuff, you know, he circles back and is like, you know what, like, I, you know, Scott drew up a good concept, but I don't think that's the best for our personnel right now. And maybe we need to, we need to change some of the calls down there. Maybe he changes well, in a little bit, but I was just thinking I, about I, it. How yeah. often were they in the red zone? They were in the red zone. I mean, they had the two turnovers, which were obviously huge in the red, they, not the red zone though. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, they have the, the fumble and then turnover on downs on the last one. So technically that's. Two. That's two. Um, the field goal drive ended outside the red zone. Uh, they got in the red zone technically on the touchdown to Jahan. That's mm -hmm. from the 19, so high red. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's it. That's it, right? So I look at that and I say on the fumble, the play before the fumble, Jahan's open on a post, but the snap's high. Remember that? Oh, yeah, and he throws it, and it's nearly picked. He throws it, it's almost intercepted. So, to me, that's a good concept that is undone, right? And then the second one is blanketed, and Taylor should probably run for first down. But And then we talked about on the third, on the last opportunity, they score a touchdown that's taken off the board. So, that's how close they are, right? That's, right. It's not like they're miles and miles away. It's like they're a bad snap from a touchdown. They're a illegal formation away from a touchdown. Probably another play in that sequence, right? That you could look at. I have to remember, I have to check my notes. But so they're almost three for three in the red zone on the day. So to say that they're yeah. disastrous in the red zone and they're like literally a play away in all in both of those drives, 
I think is a little bit unfair. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, you look at it play by play in the red zone. Um, there was another, the one that they kick a field goal on, you know, where they hit the third and three. I think there are some play calling deficiencies, right? There's a third and three um, where Curtis gets a touch um, in a short yardage situation. Like that's kind of a silly play call, I thought, in my opinion. And again, that's 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 in the one in their own end you're talking about where they're at like their own 32. No, there was another one. Uh, let me double check my notes. But yeah, like so there was another one where he gets like a jet sweep action on like a oh, it yeah. might have been like a second and two or a third and two, something like that. And that that that's again a bad play call, again, from getting you another set of downs and giving you another opportunity. And I it's easy to say it's a bad play call today, but I also say it's a bad play call because Brian Robinson's running his face off. So like get him, get him in a situation where he can. You're talking about the one where it's first and 10 at the the 11. Um, Robinson comes off a 19 yard carry. Curtis gets his first down carry off left end for one yard. Thibodeau makes the tackle. Right. They miss, uh, or they, they get a quick completion to Terry for five yards and then the sack fumble. So it's two plays before the sack fumble. Right. And I kind of think to myself like, what like why are we getting so cute there you know mm-hmm. and uh, you know i like the play call to terry but th- again that's a sequence where you know maybe scott could be a little bit more efficient we mentioned the post that terry uh, that uh taylor almost threw an interception on right we mentioned the the um the, the procedure penalty right so when people say the red zone's terrible like it's offensive mistakes that aren't allowing you to be successful it's not necessarily scheme it's not necessarily personnel it's like they are not as efficient in the red zone like I look at the Atlanta game. We've, we've talked about it a lot because I did a breakdown of that red zone period. They get a pressure on a wide open post, right? They're late on a throw, right? Um, in the Giants game in the first game, you overthrow Logan Thomas, right? You miss Jahan in the back of the end zone. Both of those would have been touchdowns. You get an offensive PI that's not called in the first Giants game, right? The one to Terry that everyone was kind of flummoxed about, right? You get Terry, you get uh, Taylor holding on the ball too long on a zero pressure on uh, an out route that is open to Terry McLaurin, right? So, that's those are all good plays. Those are all opportunities to score. Well, this is this is kind of the question though. Is like good plays on paper aren't necessarily good plays. I don't want to say in practice. Uh, good plays once you get on the field. Good plays sure. in games, right? Um, when, once once you get past the theory, because you have to have a quarterback who can execute the throws with consistency. You have to have a an offensive line that can actually protect to execute these things. So like all plays are designed to work if everybody does their job. How realistic is it to, uh, and th- this is ultimately the question. I, I don't know the answer I'm asking you. Like, how realistic are the play calls being called to be executed at a high level given the personnel that they have? And if the answer is they should be executed and, like, Taylor should make that throw, and, like, it's not not Taylor should make that throw, but, like, Taylor at his current level can make that throw with regularity, and he just didn't on this particular one, then fine. You run it again. Like run, yeah. literally run it back. Um, if the answer is uh, he misses that throw all the time, and by the right. way, this route concept takes four seconds to develop, sure. uh, so they better not call it because this O line can't block. Then those are bad play calls, even if they would work with different personnel. Correct. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I do. Th- so I try to hit hit it with that objective lens when I look at it, and I say a lot of these. You know, maybe one of the Atlanta game is a little bit long developing, but I think on the whole, they're plays that can and probably should be executed. Yeah. And um, and again, like it's people, everyone's holding the bag here. And what I mean by that is everyone's making a mistake at a, at a different moment, right? So one play, it's the offensive line. One play, it's the quarterback. One play, it's the receiver, right? One play, it's the play caller. 
And I think that is the sign of a bad red zone team. And when I remember when I was on those Kyle Shanahan teams, it was very much like that. It's just like you get down there and for whatever reason, everyone kind of takes their turn making a mistake. And because, I mean, Wes Schweitzer had an excellent game blocking Dexter Lawrence. Excellent. Like, he deserves all the kudos. But you have a high snap in, like, the most critical moment of the game. And we can't get the ball to Jahan for a touchdown. Right? Yeah. Terry McLaurin, like, one of the most consistent players in the history of this organization, lines up a little bit too deep off the ball, and it's a legal procedure on a touchdown. Right? Like, the like who would have right. thought? Like, if you had the over-under on Terry McLaurin making a penalty in this game, like, it's basically right. zero. And, you know, especially like even how often is that called by a referee in that situation? Because Terry does do the due diligence of checking and, you know, mm -hmm. there's just miscommunication, right? Like the odds of that happening are so slim, which is why it's so infuriating that it, that it does. That did happen. Yeah. So I think that, I think that's what I, what I ultimately turn to is I think this is a developing offense. It's a growing offense. I think there's opportunities in the red zone that as a fan and as an analyst and as a fan of football, I feel good about. It's just about capitalizing on those opportunities. And that is very, very challenging to do. So um, I think they're closer than people think. But sometimes that closeness in terms of execution takes literally a year. You know, it's 2011, uh, you know, Washington Redskins to 2012. And we were a totally different team. Right. And that it just took a while for us to get more familiar with those red, red zone concepts, concepts. And I know that's not what fans want to hear, but. I think I'm pleasantly surprised that Scott's process is solid. It's not outstanding by any stretch. It's solid. The The opportunities are there. Now it's just about taking those opportunities and saying, hey, let's finish this. Let's finish these drives. And I can tell you can almost tell that people are like hyper aware of red zone inefficiency because the players seem to get a little bit tight. You know, Taylor gets a little bit tight. And I think that's uh, also part of it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports here on, well, wherever you're listening right now, unless, unless you're watching, and then it's wherever you're watching right now. Full episodes available, youtube.com slash at Odyssey Sports. Of course, the full audio episodes available as well. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the free Odyssey app, wherever else you can listen to your podcast. All right, Logan, uh, real quick, defense. Upon further review, uh, mm. I'm guessing I'm guessing not much would change based off your initial um, you know, television watch of the of the game. I mean, they they ultimately gave up twelve or thirteen points. Like they played well, very obviously. They also played very poorly on one drive where they gave up 102 yards of total offense. 
uh, on a 97-yard drive that included a penalty that set the Giants back, penalty yardage they regained, um, thus the 102 total yards of offense on a single drive. Uh, and they also very ill-timely uh, could not stop Saquon Barkley on three or four consecutive big runs in the fourth quarter when they were trying to get the ball back with a little bit more time. Ultimately, the offense still had a shot. Uh, yeah. We just talked a lot about how that that didn't go great. But the defense, down in, down out, like seemed to be pretty good. Yeah, and I would agree. I think there's a couple, a couple thoughts about the defense. One is I was surprised at how, I guess, conservative is the word I'm going to use. They played a lot of, a lot, not a lot, but more than normal zone, more than normal kind of um, two-shell stuff. And I think that, you know, that kind of put them at a disadvantage when they're stopping the run. And, you know, on that drive you were describing where Saquon comes out running the football, um, they were in two-shell for the first three plays, big runs on three plays in a row. Then they were like, okay, enough of that. Let's get in our Cinco package. Let's get in cover three. And then the drive ends. But why didn't you make that decision, you know, after the first big run or after the second big run? You know, it took three runs to get there. But right. kudos to Jack for – for making the change and getting the ball back to your offense with like a minute 45 left in the game. So I know that's kind of frustrating, but he did make the correction. And I think on that long drive, like I was quite frankly blown away by what Daniel Jones was doing. Like he looked like an elite passer. Like I'm just trying to think back to, to the sequence. So, you know, it's third and third and eight, third and nine. Is the, first, the first third down on the drive is third and nine uh, yeah, on their and, own 31. And Jack, Throws in a mix-up, which I like. No, he you know he he brings a pressure. The nickel's a little bit late, coming off the edge. Daniel Jones stands in there like a absolute G. He looks so basically they ran like uh, what what I call like attack. So they're in a three by one. The guy the number three runs over the ball. The, the number two runs straight, and the outside guy runs a comeback right. And um and Daniel Jones stares down the guy over the ball. Bobby McCain, who's the hook player, drifts to match that, which is what you're supposed to do. And Daniel Jones, with a DB unblocked in his face, delivers a strike to, I think it was uh, to James on that play, right? And again, using his eyes to manipulate the defense. I think the next third down is, what's the next third down in that drive, Craig? Uh, the next third down in that drive was a another third and nine, I believe. Third and nine. I'm looking at the right one again. And yeah, so they got they got into second and 15. Brita... Uh, catches a check down for six, and then they're 39 again at the Washington 35. Uh, that leads to the fourth and nine, which yeah. maybe is the play you're thinking about. Yeah, the fourth and nine is is Jack, again, trying to mix it up, plays a little bit of man. You get James on Bobby McCain. James runs a good route, and and um, and Daniel Jones just threads the needle. Like, he he was on it. Then there's the next play, which is like a first and whatever, first and – First and uh, ten. First uh, and they're ten. They're 24 still. So they're, yeah. not, they're not quite in first and goal, but that's when they get the 19-yarder to Hodgins. And so that play, Jack comes out in cover two, Tampa two. Bostic opens to the three-by-one side. There's a two-by-two two, uh, kind of, um, you know, there's the, the corner who's got the flat. Bobby McCain's got the hook. And Daniel Jones, this mf'er, stares down the flat and basically throws a no-look pass to Hodgins right behind it. Like, throws a no-look pass. So for three consecutive third downs, this dude was in a first down. This dude was straight dealing. And I think, like, that's something, like, when, when you say, like, they were making plays and we weren't, like, that dude, Daniel Jones, was elevating everything and really understood, like, Jack was, you know, it was a, it was a nice chess match. He's bringing pressure. The pressure's a little late, gets caught up with the tight end, which is a little bit frustrating because it would have hit him right in the teeth. Throws off the timing. 
Daniel Jones makes makes an excellent throw under pressure. The fourth down, excellent throw under pressure. The first in that that eighteen yard gain, I mean, it was literally a no look pass, man. Like it looked like Patrick Mahomes. So when I see that production from him, like if you look at the rest of the drive, Saquon Barkley breaks Bostic's ankle on a play for a first down. But outside of that, it's Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, making assessments of the defense and Jack. You know, Jack did a good job of throwing some different stuff at him, and Daniel Jones just was ready and made play after play after play. And so that, to me, is, again, like that's just good football by him. And as much as Jack is like – and this is the other thing I need to say before we continue. Sorry, Craig. Mm-hmm. Is they really understood their limitations, the Giants. They called a ton, a ton of like three-step drops from the gun, which plays essentially yeah. like quip game to get deeper concepts. And so everyone's like, where's the rush? Where's the rush? They knew what they needed to do. They didn't take a lot of deep shots. They basically dinked and dunked their way down the field. And I think if you're Jack, you're probably okay with that because the only way they beat you is if they hit a deep ball to Slayton. And they just basically say, you're not going to do that. And we don't think Daniel Jones can consistently deal. And Daniel Jones on that drive was, was you know, was dealing. Yeah. Um, and the only way they beat you is if they get a fumble, scoop and score, and your offense is completely inept in its entirety. Um, in terms of quarterback hits, let's see, is it in this area of the box score? I know like James Smith Williams had two. Um, let me see if I can pull up the Montez had one, to maybe do quick math. I'm gonna have to do quick math in the individual box score real quick, but uh, let's see. Quarterback hits, Sweat had two, Smith Williams had oh, they just had four, but so yeah. each of your edge players gets gets two. Um, and that's in 32 dropbacks. So, like, not ideal. You'd like to hit him more. There's, there's a couple like extra you said, the balls, the balls, yeah, there's extra pressures and like the balls coming out so fast. I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's 21 of 32 for 160 yards. He threw quickly and the ball went nowhere, but yeah. it was enough. And that 18 play drive, you, you talk about how it's all Jones. Here's, here's the 18 plays. I will do this as quickly as possible. Saquon left. Daniel Jones, short pass. Daniel Jones, short pass. Daniel Jones, short pass. Barkley left. Daniel Jones, short pass. Short pass again. Uh, Brita up the middle. Another short pass. Another short pass. Barkley left. Daniel Jones, incomplete. Penalty, uh, no play. Jones, short middle. Jones, incomplete. Jones, fourth and nine, uh, short middle. Uh, Jones, short middle again to Hodgins. Daniel Jones runs left. Saquon Barkley runs left. That's the 18 place. Like Jones short, Jones short, Barkley. Jones short, Jones short, Breland. Jones short. Like that's it. That's the drive. Yeah. And and so again, like one of the things we talked about in the preview show was how you got to contain him and find out what that wrinkle was. And I don't think we had a good a good answer for that quick game stuff. I mean, you're in the right, and again, it's him manipulating you, it's him doing next level stuff in a very short time window. So um, as much as people want to, yeah. you know, poo-poo him and what he's been doing, like he did a great job in this game. And he, he Alex Smith did. He, he goes, yes. we can't go broke making a profit. Right. And, you know, getting your ball to playmakers and letting those guys, like even the boot on the first, uh, the second completion you're describing there, right? Casey Tuhill is inches from him. And he just lofts the ball over right to the tight end. The tight end, tight end runs for eight yards. He just did that down in and down out on that drive and so jack again he didn't call like a bad series there it wasn't like they were getting big chunk plays guys weren't like terribly out of position it's just daniel jones was just a little bit better than what you had 
And um, so again, like when I say props to Daniel Jones, like props to Daniel Jones. Is there a plausible explanation for why he's so good consistently against this team? Because <laughs> someone asked me that I was on a on a, one of the podcasts, uh, the other podcasts in the podcast sphere of Commanders Podcast last week. Uh -oh. If someone goes, "Why is he so good?" and I was like, "I don't know. Maybe there'll be a brain study a hundred years from now that that uh, discovers some kind of elevated performance when you see certain colors." And they'll go back and dig up Daniel Jones and and or his brain will be frozen for science. And they'll discover that gene that when he sees Burgundy, his performance elevates. That's as think, good of an explanation I got as anything. I think that's pretty he turns, he turns He turns into Mahomes meets Joe Montana. Meets it is weird. Like, whoever against these guys. And I, I don't – it's different coordinators. It's different coaches. It's different players. It's different locations. It's home. It's away. He just does. Yeah, and I would say if I had to kind of put something on it, I think Kafka and Dayball did a good job of putting him in a good spot and putting the O-line in a good spot. But I also think like – That doesn't explain what happened when he was being coached by Joe Judge and sucked in every other game and was good against these goobers. Well, well, this year it's this year those guys deserve a lot of credit. They've done For a good sure. job, right? And I, I've never seen him play like this, consistently like this. Like when you watch him on film, like he's, he's their offense. So um, this year – I think he's kind of turning a corner a little bit, you know, and I, it's, it'll be really interesting to see what they do. Cause if they let him walk, cause they didn't get his fifth year option. Um, he's a guy that I think Washington should take a really hard look at, you know, if he's playing like that, he's got the arm talent. If he can run that way, like, uh, you know, he's like Taylor Heineke on steroids kind of thing. So, yeah, I guess um, the, the thing that's scary is like, if I'm Daniel Jones, I want to stay like there. I, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, these guys are getting more out of me than, than anybody else has. Like, I want to. I want to continue to develop in yes. this. But if yeah. I'm them, I might be like, if I can do this with Daniel Jones, imagine what I can do with a guy who's really got it. But like physical talent wise, Jones has got everything. So it's yeah. just a matter of like, what happens if you give him weapons? Does 160 yards become 280 just because guys are getting more open and running after the catch and you know all those kinds of things mm -hmm. on the same kind of concepts? Because they got they got squadoosh. In the the wide receiver category, with all due respect to Richie, and how many yards race, rushing did they have in this game? They had in this game many yards rushing. Uh, one hundred twenty-eight. Saquon had eighty-seven. Jones had thirty-five. Breida had six. How many? Uh, on how many was the average per carry for Saquon? Saquon was four eight a carry. Mm, yeah, I also think that's something that it was cool to see from like a schematic standpoint is just how they were able to take advantage of. Allen and Payne's aggressiveness, you know, and Saquon ran really hard. He deserves a lot of credit, but schematically, I think they just, they came out with a really good game plan and the guys executed it. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think when you go on those long drives, like our guys were getting tired and they just, they weren't used to playing that many plays consecutively. So they deserve a ton of credit, man. The, the Giants, they did a great job offensively. They did a great job defensively. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say we were out coached because I think Scott came out and did some good stuff in the second half and Jack did some good stuff, but they, they deserve a ton of credit. All right. Anything else from this game that you wanted to mention uh, in terms of looking back at the tape? No, uh, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much pretty much it. All right. Well, in that case, that's the podcast. Uh, hope you liked it. Uh, if so, subscribe. If you didn't, give us another chance. Subscribe anyway. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever else it is that you're listening right now subscribe if you're watching on youtube like and subscribe we very much appreciate all of the interaction on youtube by the way uh if you leave a comment there's a pretty good chance you'll see it uh in a segment i do on the radio called never read the comments i don't listen to my own advice uh we do that on wednesdays 
And then we post it up on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. So if you're watching on Odyssey Sports or 106.7 The Fans page, make sure that you are subscribed to my page as well. And you can check out more Commanders coverage there. Uh, That's it. And that's all for this edition of Take Command. We'll see you Friday for a Niners preview. And until then, have a great week. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now, uh, because obviously if you're listening there, our, our podcast is available and, th- and then you can subscribe there and then you can have it anytime we put out a new episode. Anytime you want it. And it helps us out, guys. Help us out. Help yeah, us help if, you. If you don't want to do it for your own listening good, uh, do it for us. Be altruistic or whatever that version is. I like that. Yeah, I, I, that's a good word. Uh, I don't know if I use it properly, but we're going to we're just going to roll with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what do you say? UCLA education? I think that's right. Be altruistic. I think it was too. Yeah.